One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Candleland shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Candleland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically nothing costs $2 anymore. You could like get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Allison, there are only 50 days left to E-Day. We cannot take a renewed mandate for granted. We must throw everything we have at this campaign. Right now, more than anything, we need funds to deploy on the ground. We need to fight for every single seat across this province. Allison, our campaign runs on the support of the grassroots. Please consider donating here. Uh, who, me? Consider donating where now? Well, that was a message sent to the PC Party's email list last week, signed by Michelle Cooper, executive director of the very fake-sounding but very real PC Ontario Fund. It's interesting how much it kind of sounds defensive, especially compared to the language you usually hear out of Doug Ford's mouth. Or even, like, insecure. Yeah. I mean, we know it's the PC's party's election to lose, but I'd kind of quibble with that email's attestation that the PCs need to fight for every single seat across the province. Like, Etobicoke North is pretty much in the bag, right? Yeah, I mean, the likelihood that Doug Ford is going to lose his seat to liberal candidate Julie Lutete is pretty slim. Ditto to the NDP's Toby Decided. But for all the bluster associated with such fundraising blasts, we cannot take a renewed mandate for granted and must throw everything we have with this campaign does seem to be a pretty accurate reflection of the party's attitude these days to pretty much everything, despite the victory on June 2nd being you know, pretty, much, pretty much assured. Today, we're going to dig into all of the tactics the Ford government has deployed to make it even more certain that the rain will last another four years, from throwing checks in the mail to spending sprees. We're going to... F- Talk about whether they actually need to do all this in order to get it done. Best, 
Jonathan Goldsby, news editor at Candleland, and I would like someone to once again leak me the Toronto Sun's election coverage plans. I'm Allison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today, and I'm gearing up to cover my third Ontario election. And it's your third too, right, Jono? Yes, but I never covered it with the same breadth or depth as you have because it's never been my primary beat. Um, but but yes, and, and, and also this is Wag the Dog. A monthly podcast about Doug Ford. That will soon be a weekly podcast about Doug Ford. <gasps> yes, you heard me right, folks. For the first time, Wag the Doug is going weekly. Our next episode will drop the week after the campaign starts on Friday, May 6th followed by a new episode each Friday until the day after the June 2nd vote. Yeah, Ontario elections are held on Thursdays, which turns out has been the case with pretty much every Ontario election since I was born. But somehow it still always catches me off guard. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. So I know I just read you one email aloud, Allison, but uh, could I read you one more? Of course. So uh, this came from one of our, our listeners. I just got a check in the mail for $280 from the Ontario government to repay me for two years of car license stickers. What the hell? So now where does the money come from to pay for roads? Does it come from health care? Education? Where? I would really appreciate hearing you and Allison discuss this blatant and nonsensical election-buying move on the part of our favorite premier, devoted listener and Candleland supporter, Karen Franklin. Thanks for supporting Candleland, Karen. Yes, this is a sentiment I've heard a lot on social media over the past few weeks, as the PC's license plate sticker rebate checks have been landing in Ontarians' mailboxes. I myself got one of those checks, which was signed by Finance Minister Peter Bethlen-Falvey. It was only for $100, though, because I purchased a car less than a year ago. What kind? Nissan Kicks. You were in it before. We drove to Ontario Place. Oh, yeah. I, less than a year. Okay, the summer. Oh, okay. Kicks? K-I-X? K-I-C-K-S. K-I-C. Oh. Uh-huh, like okay. a shoe. <laughs> Nissan Kicks. Karen is right that this rebate program is expensive. It's expected to cost the provincial coffers $1 billion. The purpose of the rebate checks, though, according to the PCs, are to put money directly back into the pockets of Ontario families and workers to help make life more affordable. Since I spent my entire check on a new tank top with little daisies embroidered on it, I'm happy to confirm that my life is much more affordable now. And as someone who doesn't own a car, I'm sure I can look forward to Ford sending me a refund for the cost of a monthly transit pass or $100 toward my next bike tune-up. Well, joke's on him. I don't go anywhere anymore. 
Just wait until how affordable your life will get once the province spends $10 billion on the new Highway 413. I look forward to biking along it out of spite until the cops arrest me since cycling is very much prohibited on 400 series highways and for, for good reason. Kidding aside, as many people have pointed out, this license plate rebate is basically the opposite of progressive tax policy insofar as it benefits people at the highest end of the income spectrum the most. If you have six Porsches in your driveway, or likely your garage, I guess if you have six Porsches. Or one kicks, or a kick. Is one of them a kick? <laughs> it's it's one kick. Okay. It's, a, it's, a it's one kicks. kicks. Okay, anyway. <laughs> that means you're A, wealthy, and can afford to pay a fee to license those cars, or at least not get a refund for the fees you already paid and likely forgot about, and B, are getting a bigger chunk of the overall program spending than anyone else, including lower-income workers who need a car to get around but are only going to get a rebate for one or two vehicles. Now, here I could talk about how, as one of his first orders of business when he was elected mayor in 2010, Rob Ford eliminated the city of Toronto's personal vehicle registration tax on pretty much the same grounds, sending out refund checks with money the city really very much badly needed at the time and probably could still use. Uh, and I could compare and contrast, or mostly just compare, really. But I could also just you know play a bit of a sound montage. By eliminating the personal vehicle registration tax on January 1st, that will put $64 million back into the pockets of Toronto taxpayers. Because we believe hardworking Ontarians know the value of a dollar. And the best place for your money is in your pocket, not the government's pocket. Given the budget projections for 2012, are you still thinking that this is a good idea to it's, get rid it's of It's a fantastic money? idea. People should have never had to pay the $60. Sir, it's been reported that the renewal of validation stickers is a billion dollars a year for the province. Does it concern you that we're you're, we are losing that money? It's actually your money. It's everyone's money out there. It's not the government's money. We're just putting that in, back into your pocket, and it's about affordability. And so on. The politics and the values underlying them aren't really all that complicated or obscure. The license plate sticker refund program is the most blatant vote-buying strategy the PCs have taken up ahead of the election campaign, but it's not the only one. There's also an even costlier initiative targeted at businesses, poised to dole out $1.5 billion from the Workplace Safety and Insurance Board's surplus to companies that are deemed safe. Those rebates will also be issued in the lead-up to Election Day. The criteria for being considered a safe employer in Ontario under the PC's program is definitely not tough. According to Labour Minister Monty McNaughton's office, only 300 companies in the whole province won't be getting a rebate. Of course, companies can't vote, but their owners can, and their owners' spouses can, and their owners' kids can, and their owners' friends can, and their owners' employees can. And so can injured workers, who are undoubtedly the ones losing out on billions in compensation that's now considered part of the WSIB's surplus, more silent air quotes. The number of how many workers are injured on the job but have their claims denied is kind of tricky to pin down. But but if you listen to workers' rights advocates, and I always recommend you do, uh, they will tell you that WSIB employs practices like deeming, D-E-E-M-I-N-G, whereby they deem that a worker who hurt themselves doing specialized labor is still able to technically work after their injury, just not necessarily in the job they know how to do and were previously being paid for. And therefore, they're denied adequate long-term benefits, whether or not they're actually capable of getting a new job or continuing to work. 
Any surplus is immoral, is one of visual artist Jenny Holzer's best truisms. So is abuse of power comes at no surprise. So aside from giving back to drivers and businesses money that they had already paid to the government, uh, what other sorts of pork barrel politics are the PCs partaking in in the lead up to the election? Well, there's a lot of the standard stuff, you know, bringing the local MPP down to announce funding for a new school in their riding that will eventually be built someday, maybe. They're doing the same for long-term care homes, too. Oh, everyone's favorite. It'll be something in 10 years when these death traps for the elderly are disproportionately concentrated in blue ridings. Maybe they'll finally get fixed. Probably not. Indeed. (laughs) There's also a ton of new hospital funding announcements. In the past few weeks, we learned that the province is going to expand hospitals or build new ones in Scarborough, Hamilton, Newmarket, Ottawa, and Toronto. So stay tuned for that, I guess. What's the new Toronto one? Expanding University Health Network, something, uh-huh. something. Okay. There's also big, huge investments in electric vehicle plants, which is sort of a gift of job security to auto workers and kind of part of the PC's turn to embracing electric vehicles after uh, years of hating them because they realize that's where the auto companies want to spend money and therefore the only option. However, on the other hand, on the flip side, when the not electric side, the other big promise from the PCs is also for drivers. Ford is pledging to lower gas and fuel taxes by about five cents per liter. But here's the kicker. That's not until July 1st. So you got to reelect him first. Are these moves that a fiscally prudent government would make? I don't know. I mean, for, for all sorts of reasons, including not having had a fully costed platform going into the last election... It's hard to measure this against what the PCs said they planned to do, which was to let, you know, brewers charge a dollar for a bottle of beer and to fire um, someone called the $6 million man who may or may not have had superpowers uh, of some sort and made a sound when blasting off. Or maybe that's just the Simpsons articulation of it. It's funny you mentioned the $6 million man, though, actually, Jonathan. That was Ford's insulting nickname for Mayo Schmidt, who was the former CEO of Hydro One. He targeted him during the last election campaign by shouting about his salary all the time, kind of as a symbol of overpaid public servants. However, lately, the always clever Ontario Liberal Party has revived the phrase and started calling Doug Ford the $6 billion man. That'll get him. Yep. (laughs) That's loosely how much money the Liberals say the PCs spent in pre-campaign promises in the month of March. So if you look at the list of spending the Liberals tallied, a lot of it is stuff that, you know, the Liberals would probably agree with in principle if it weren't just like timed now. You know, it's hard to see what problem they would have with funding to train more healthcare workers at indigenous institutes, those bastards, for example, or with uh, cash for a new broadband network to rural parts of southwestern Ontario. It's definitely a bit of a stunt line from the Liberals. Stevens Del Duca's argument loosely is that Ford's bullshitting by pretending to be investing in public services, but he actually just loves cutting stuff. I don't know. Somehow both are true. The overall size of the provincial budget keeps going up and up under the PCs, but also they're clearly underfunding important things. People on the Ontario Disability Support Program, for example, haven't had their monthly premiums rise since 2018. It's such... Uh, I mean, there, there's such a fundamental, not a fundamental, there's such a common and ingrained dishonesty in so much of conservative politics as it's practiced now. And by now, I mean, in the past few decades, I mean, it's I, I assume at some point there may have been some truth to some idea of 
fiscal prudence and clamping down on this or that and getting some sort of spending under control or something along the lines of what you would associate with the idea of fiscal conservatism. But my, I mean, like, for as long as I've been, I guess, old enough to understand what that means and what that ought to mean, I mean, it's so clear. It's it's not about tightening spending or whatever suggested by the phrase fiscal conservatism. It's just about having different priorities. That's okay. I don't like your priorities. I think often they're quite abhorrent. But just, like, be fucking honest and own up to the fact that there are some things you want to put money towards and there's some things you don't want to put money towards. It's not about managing the books better. It's about, it's about managing them differently. You have particular priorities. There are things you like. There are things you don't like. You're like any other fucking government that way. Just say it. It's so frustrating. I mean, the problem with the license plate rebate and, and something that we saw with the um, the Rob Ford vehicle tax thing is like when you cancel a program like that, not only are they giving the rebates, but they're making it so in the future nobody has to pay these fees. Like you can't get that billion dollars back without creating some sort of other revenue uh-huh. stream, which like the PCs likely aren't going to do. So that's like a knock to the budget kind of forever until some other maybe government down the line has the gumption or political will to kind of reinstate something like that. However, it's worth noting that it's not only the PCs making dumb, grandiose election promises. Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca has made one that I consider extremely foolhardy. Huh? So we never talked about this on the show, but I'm sure many of our listeners know Justin Trudeau's federal government spent the last eight months or so signing deals with the provinces and territories to fund childcare, with the goal of eventually making it $10 a day across Canada. The PCs didn't sign on to the deal until about three weeks ago, which was also kind of election related. They wanted to tie that announcement, you know, close up to when they were campaigning. And Ontario was the last province to do so. By Stephen Del Duca's logic, Doug Ford dithered so long that parents were screwed out of money since the start of this year. So if he's elected premier, every family with kids in daycare will receive a retroactive rebate of $2,750 per child. Like, like, all, like all at once? As far as like cash lump sums dangled to individuals as election goodies go, that's, I think that's the largest I can recall hearing about. You no, know, it's massive. It's massive. And yeah, I think all at once, like in July or something. But oh. it also doesn't make any sense. Like British Columbia was the first province to sign a deal with Ottawa back in summer 2021. And parents there still haven't started seeing fees decrease because, like, the program's still getting set up. Oh, God. I I just remembered something. Okay. So Mm -hmm. every province's plan is different. Mm -hmm. um, And the PC's childcare deal is going to work differently than BC's. So Ontario parents are going to start getting rebate checks for 25% of their April childcare costs and May childcare costs next month. That's even more rebate checks. So a family that operates a small business with enough full-time employees to require WSIB coverage and which owns at least one car and and which has kids in daycare will be getting three rebate checks, at least three rebate checks within two months. I guess, do the checks at least like form an image when you line them up together, like perhaps a pastel-hued Doug Ford giving a thumbs up? They're really coming at it from every angle. It's actually pretty impressive. 
you have to have a lot of cynical political wonks working in overdrive for months to come up with this stuff and to time it out so well. It's almost like they weren't wholly focused on the pandemic. Honestly, maybe they'll open up fourth booster shot doses to that hypothetical family during the campaign, too. So hopefully no one in that family needed cancer surgery at any time in the last two years. Can't vote for my opponent if you're dead. Uh, I mean, that's cunning, I guess. I mean, you can kind of picture the the guy tapping his head meme. Um, But more than cunning, perhaps, Doug Ford has been weirdly fucking organized. Well, well, not him, like, you know, like the, the people around him. Because after the last campaign where they, I mean, they, they, they made it all up as they went along. This time they seem, prepared's maybe too generous a word, um, let's say well-equipped and well-armed. Because, like, beyond the transparent vote buying, they also, like, you know, invoke the fucking notwithstanding clause to pass an explicitly unconstitutional law to clear the airwaves of the kind of pre-election advertising that might remind people of... Everything in their tenure that preceded the transparent vote buying, like passed a law to retroactively dismiss cases against the government, bypassed the Ontario Human Rights Commission's application process to self-appoint two people known to the premier, quietly deleted preamble about racism in grade nine math curriculum, suspended environmental oversight rules allowing the government to push forward projects or laws that can significantly impact you. You, you, you get it. I mean, those are those are just like pulled off of this thing on the Ontario Federation of Labor's website called Ford Tracker. So I would take the, the framing of those, some of those maybe with a bit of a grain of salt. But like, that's the sort of thing that, you know, you could imagine, a, a, you know, a wonderful, a very, very entertaining greatest hits ad uh, with phrases like that. Another strategic move the PCs made was to move the day of their budget release until this Thursday. It was supposed to have to be released before the end of the fiscal quarter, so back in March, but they decided it would be advantageous to uh, let it drop basically five days before the election campaign will launch and not give themselves enough time to pass it as a budget bill, meaning they're going to campaign on passing it if they get re-elected, which could mean a lot more goodies for voters are going to be in that document. I mean, of course, and they, you know, as we've talked about a few times on the show, they also doubled the maximum contribution that individuals can give to political parties and extended per vote subsidies to guarantee they just have a shitload of cash, at least as much as they can legally spend. Yeah. Under the Election Finances Act, political parties can spend 87 cents per voter during the campaign, assuming they run a candidate in every riding. This election that comes out to about $8.9 million, which the PCs have easily amassed by now, from what I can tell based on their fundraising numbers and the amount of per-vote subsidy payments they're receiving. But if I go on the party website right now, I can still see that they're holding 10 separate fundraising events from Tuesday through Friday of this week, with tickets ranging from $500 to $1,500. They're mostly framed as like an evening with this or that candidate. Some of those candidates are incumbents and some of them are ministers. So some are, you know, more valuable than others. So it's kind of like almost like 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 Cameo, where distinct monetary value is assigned to each face. Uh, like, like, you know, when, yes, you could spend $1,500 for FaceTime with Monty McNaughton, but for the same price on Cameo, you could get four live video calls with Montel Jordan. And, you know, that's a lot of fundraisers, given they seem to have already collected as much money as they can spend. So, Allison, why is this how they do it? That's a good question. Um, Over the past month, most of the PC party fundraisers have been for specific riding associations or candidates rather than the central party. 
Writing associations have their own spending budgets. And if you're a candidate, it obviously makes you look good to the party if you can raise a bunch of money on your own and prove that you're the type of person that people like writing $1,000 checks for. Which, you know, I kind of assumed is one of the primary qualifications for being a PC candidate, Uh, uh, you know, in, in addition to being a former chief of police of one municipality or another, preferably Toronto, or having the surname Ford. I spoke to some sources early this month who have a lot of experience working on PC and federal conservative campaigns to try to get a handle on what the PC's edge is here with all of this money. Because there's also another built-in cap on advertising spending, so all of this $8.9 million can't just be blown on TV ads. The top three items I heard were polling, voter ID, and get-out-the-vote operations. Surprise, surprise, in the PC's case, at least two of these involve Nick Kuvalis and his firm Campaign Research. Campaign Research, of course, conducts all the polling for the PCs, but also, according to my sources, is also contracted to do their voter ID work. I should say I asked both Nick and the PC party to confirm or deny this, and neither of them responded to me. I really believe it's true. Yeah, I mean, that's one of their known strengths. It would actually be kind of surprising if the party would contract anyone else to conduct that. So an advantage to a well-funded campaign is that the party can pay campaign research to hire a bunch of live call center agents to reach out to potential voters. Those agents will ask whoever picks up the phone whether they support the PCs, if they want a lawn sign, and whether they're going to be willing to donate or volunteer, as well as mine them for other information about their political issues that they care about and their email address. Which is kind of amazing. I mean, like Nick Kuvalis sort of first got famous as like the deployer of robocalls, like in Rob Ford's 2010 uh, campaign and other certain things. And even infamously in some other, in one other case that it's too much of a digression to get in here, um, like the auto-dialing, the robocall, that was the thing. It's really interesting to see that it's sort of come around, I guess, if you have enough money, back to the live human, to the organic. I mean, certainly, you know, with with poll, when it comes to like polling, like actual polling, having live humans asking the questions is... Oh, if you can afford that, it's that's always preferable to having uh, certainly online polls, but even like auto- interactive voice response. So to actually have live people who aren't just like volunteers, but people who are, I guess, ostensibly professionals doing this outreach work, that's an impressive machine. Yeah. And it's also worth noting that the election spending cap I was talking about only kicks in when the writ drops. So there's pre-campaign advertising caps, but I don't think there's any limit on this type of stuff. So campaign research could have started this work weeks ago. They could be doing it already today. And this other thing I learned actually kind of blew my mind. The PCs apparently pay their door knockers. Uh, They don't just hire anybody, but the jobs will go to high school kids or PC youth types. I've been covering politics for 10 years, and I had no idea that paid door knockers was a thing. On the one hand, I'm glad they see the value in compensating people for their labor. On the other hand, it also kind of seems like the like the most conservative thing there is. Like, you know, why rely on people acting out their values or their passions when you can just convert capital into influence? That's a lobbying works, right? Basically. Yeah. I mean, a paycheck is better for morale than a couple slices of mm. pizza. And honestly, speaking of paychecks, I assume the ones being cashed by the actual campaign managers and war room staff won't be too shabby either. Yeah. I mean, those will for sure have a picture of Doug Ford with a thumbs up. <laughs> um, 
And this all brings us back to the, you know, the fundraising email we read off the top of the show. You know, we cannot take a renewed mandate for granted. We must throw everything we have at this campaign. And if it wouldn't fuck up the recording, you could hear me banging the table as I read that. Um, So it really seems like that's what they're doing. I mean, the comprehensiveness with which they're doing it and the, the extent of the foundation they've built is unusual, but not unheard of. Certainly, the notwithstanding clause makes it unique. But the extent of it, by by any measure, is is extraordinary. What they have spent this time building is impressive. And I mean, I think one thing that we didn't touch on that I do think is a sociological part of this is, you know, in a lot of ways, politics at that level is a pissing contest, right? The PCs want to raise more money than they raised the year before, than they raised than the NDP, because that makes them look more powerful and cool and the organizers and fundraisers look better, right? Like it really is, you know, triumph for these guys. And lots of them are guys. Um, and I find myself wondering what a pissing contest actually is, but also scared to Google it. I mean, obviously I've heard the phrase, but it's like... I think it's like who pisses further. Yeah, is it, is it a distance thing? <laughs> yeah, is it a strength? You have to knock stuff over? <laughs> Is it is it strictly a male sport? I don't I don't I, I was again like I'm sure there are answers right at my fingertips, but I don't, don't want to look for them. And, up. Uh, yeah, I think you know what it is. <laughs> and I mean the seat count too, right? Like they could win, but if they win more seats this time than last time, like that's a a prize and a victory for the people behind the scenes specifically. Like you know they're fighting against themselves in some sort of ways to like be the biggest winner well, within yeah. the campaign. Egos are involved. Yeah, I mean. You know, I think as we've talked about on this this show before, we must have talked about this at some point. It's like, you know, campaigning and governing are pretty different skill sets with fairly limited overlap and no necessary correlation. Um, you know, if someone's an elected official, you can usually assume that they're at least decent at campaigning by virtue of them having been elected as an official. But of course, the quality of governance and governing skills, that that varies wildly. And as I think we've made a pretty strong case for over the past four years, Doug Ford is not as much into the governing part of um, politics. So it's no surprise that as someone who is very much passionate about campaigning, who loves campaigning, who's fixated on campaigning, that's that's what he likes. And someone who's spent essentially the last four years in a perpetual campaign mode, it's not really surprising that, you know, we're about to go into this election and they seem to have been laying the groundwork for this since the last election, since before we even started doing the show and you you sort of take a step back now and you look at what they've built and it's like holy fuck with a leader who is quite prone to gaffes and fuck ups it's still quite hard to imagine what kind of gaff or fuck up it would take to uh, screw up this election for the PCs yeah I mean heading into the campaign starting in what a week two weeks part of me feels like you know, it could be a bit of a snore because the PCs do seem like such shoe-ins to win. Doug Ford's been kind of a Teflon Don. Nothing sticks to him. But the other part of me knows that anything can happen in a campaign and there's got to be dirt out there. His opponents have been stashing away for an opportune time. And it's also possible that either Andrea Horvath or Stephen Del Duca will manage to break through with voters and 
find something more compelling than a rebate check to get them to start thinking differently about who should be leading our province. Now it's time for Foreseeable Disaster of the Month. Allison, what is your foreseeable disaster this month? Um, my foreseeable disaster will uh, luckily extend long beyond this month, and I, and I think we'll do an episode on it at some point, but it's the province's massive, horrifying housing crisis. Mm. Um, yeah, and I don't think that'll yeah, be resolved. Yeah, it's not going anywhere, guys. <laughs> um, and the PCs have decided that their only real method of tackling it is to build more houses and build more supply, um, which they're not even taking a bold stance on anyways, as seen in their last housing bill, which is more concerned with not angering suburban mayors than it is of actually getting anything done. To me, this is very exemplified by the star of our podcast, Premier Doug Ford, and his housing minister, Steve Clark, on the evening of April 4th, attending a ceremony in Oakville where they received uh, keys to the city type things from uh, Mayor Rob Burton for their success and hard work in making sure the Glen Abbey golf course wasn't turned into 3,000 homes, uh, which the owner of the golf course wanted. Uh, It wanted to sell its land and make it into housing units, but the PCs intervened and and stopped them from doing that because Oakville locals didn't like the idea. So not only did the PCs have a seemingly narrow view on on how to bring down housing prices, aren't acting particularly strongly to even do the one thing they say that will solve the problem, uh, they're also accepting wards for literally not building houses uh, in GTA suburbs. Hmm. Um. So, foreseeable disaster yeah. of our generation. <laughs> yeah, so I have three three things to that. One, Rob Burton is still mayor. I didn't realize that. Two, what do Oakville locals like? And uh, three, what do the keys to Oakville get you? Just like a faster passage between Mississauga and Burlington? Anyway. It's actually the key, they were key to the town award plaques. So they oh. are a little plaque that has a picture of a key on them. Uh, mayor Burton, you know, thanked the premier and the minister for listening to the people. And one thing I do also want to add is that PC MPP Effie Trantafilopoulos is right now tabling petitions. Literally the same day the PCs tabled their housing bill, she tabled a petition trying to get them to block the development of some other golf course called Millcroft Greens in Milton. So, you know, the PCs are saying supply, supply, supply. We're going to overrule planning laws to get more units of housing built while simultaneously the housing minister and PC MPPs are just sitting around trying to fight to save golf courses. It's crazy. It's crazy. That's for the community. Like, it's not about, yeah, it's not about. It's not about anything. It's about about, about nothing. Yeah, it's it's about. (laughs) Nothing matters. What are their, it's about priorities. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's disguising arbitrary priorities or personal taste in the guise of some sort of virtue or even ideology. Fuck that. Just be honest. You like housing some places. You don't like housing other places. You like golf pretty much everywhere. What's your foreseeable disaster, Jonathan? Have we done COVID yet? Anyway, yeah. I I mean, I think for all we talked about 
how carefully the PCs laid out all the different little steps leading up to this election. One thing I really do think they fucked up, though I hardly make much of a dent, is just managing this COVID spring in the sense that, like, I really think if they had waited, like, an extra fucking month to drop the mask mandates, if they hadn't chosen this apparently arbitrary date of, like, was it March 21st, if they just waited another month to, like, now-ish when, you know, you can pretty much have the windows open on a fairly reliable basis, it'll be a little bit chilly, but you can, you can do that. They could have just fucking ridden that. They could have said. They could have said like, okay, our our we chose the right time to drop the drop the mask mandates because they, they were sort of taking advantage of the natural decline that will happen. And this happens in the spring anyway, as the ventilation generally improves. People spend more time outdoors. That would have been like the easy, obvious thing. Just ride that out. Take credit for what human behavior and nature would have done anyway. So when he came back from the Dominican Republic earlier this month, Dr. Kieran Moore, the chief medical officer of health, offered the observation that they don't expect this wave to settle until mid to late May, which I just found is such a spectacular irony in terms of all, all the government's efforts to ensure this election would be fought under conditions that would be ideal for their party. They couldn't have waited just another few weeks to drop mask mandates. Oh, well, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're the government and we're the people, and therefore we suffer the consequences. Uh, see you in the campaign. And that was Wag the Dog, a show with dramatic readings of emails and pristinely preserved golf courses. We will be going weekly in May to cover the Ontario election campaign. Starting May 6th, you will get an episode from us every Friday, recapping the biggest, weirdest, and most interesting things to happen on the campaign trail that week. We could also potentially choose some of the least interesting things to happen and see if we still get to go weekly. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, and you can find me on Twitter at Goldsby. I'm Allison Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Queen's Park Today. Kevin Sexton produced this episode. Our managing editor is Kieran Outshorn, and our theme music is by Nathan Burley, with additional music by Kevin Sexton. Our podcast is listener-supported. If you like what we do, support us for just five bucks a month at wagthedug.com, or click on the link in the show notes. Thank you for supporting us while we wag that dog. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.